You're listening to the Broken Meeple Podcast. This is Season 4, Episode 1, recorded on the 14th of January, 2020. The Broken Meeple Podcast, a show devoted to board games, card games, and the people who play them. Sit back and enjoy, and remember, it's only a game. Hi everybody and welcome, yes welcome one and all, finally another podcast episode. How many times do I keep apologising that I can't get these out often enough? Far too often unfortunately. So this is season 4, season 4 of the YouTube channel was already well underway with some format changes and you have all been very positive about these changes, thank you very much because now it gives me a bit more confidence to say right this is the way I'm doing it going forward and even though in the editing room I still need to get used to the changes, it does make life a bit easier for the actual camera setup because I at least know what I'm doing with that and I don't have to keep switching lenses all the time. And to be fair, this is my favourite of all the lenses I was using with the wide angle look. And I think it, I don't know, I think it works, but we'll see how it goes, you know. Feel free to give me feedback on those YouTube videos. But yes, the podcast, oh boy. As we get into 2020, I need to be able to get more of these out because... It is on me, really, because it's just trying to find the time to record a podcast, as well as do the videos, as well as do the written reviews. But with the idea that I'm doing written reviews now, it should be a little bit easier to catch up with video backlog. And at the moment, I'm almost done catching up with my backlog from Essen and December. Just looking at my chart on the wall there, uh, Sierra West and Azul Free, as I like to call it, or uh, Summer Pavilion, are the next ones in line. And then after that, there should be written reviews of Dust in the Wings and Mississippi Queen, as well as a video review of Warpgate and Chocolate Factory. Possibly if I get time I'll do Atlantis Rising as well, but there's no guarantee on that one. But that's all that's on my chart at the moment. Although I did just take a delivery today of the new Time Stories Hadal Revolution, you know, this, this new standalone card, like, exp is it can expansion technically? No, it's technically a base game. They're meant to be like standalone missions with the Time Stories universe. No idea what to expect. It ended on a bit of a sour note for me, I must admit, the first campaign, but we'll see whether these are any better. But like I say, the fact that I'm doing written and YouTube means I should be able to get through that reasonably quickly. And in case of top 10 lists, yes, don't worry, I haven't forgotten about them. The next top 10 list I will record soon, probably after HandyCon, which is this weekend. And that one's probably going to be top 10 reprints. Um, I did a vote on the Patreon and at the moment I've got about seven list ideas in motion. But the top three as voted on were top 10 reprints, uh, top 10 games with high replay value and top 10 middleweight games. So they should be the next three that I do in sequence. It's just a case of fitting them in. But what am I actually doing with this podcast? Well, twofold. Firstly, need to get the episodes out more often. <laughs> so, you know, try and get at minimum once a month, and if possible, two a month. How am I going to do that, though? Well, firstly, a bit of self-discipline. But secondly, you know, support from you guys, you know, that, you know, to let me know that you're listening to this podcast and you enjoy it. And, you know, it's all, you know, it's what you, it's something that you like, you know, so it's worth doing. Because uh, at the moment, it's hard to compete with a lot of podcasts when I'm doing this solo as opposed to other people doing it with banter among friends, which are always fun to listen to. You know, I listen to the Dice Tower one after all. And, but it, it's hard to do it by yourself. 
But what will be the case is I look on Facebook and I see a lot of threads always start up about what's your favorite podcast you like to listen to? And it's always the same three to five podcasts that get the top votes, which is fine. They deserve it. But then you go down the list and it's just like, yeah, that one or super one or two people that's like, hmm, they've heard of me. You know, and that's about it. You know, is I, I I'm obviously my podcast is not well known because I don't get enough content out for it. You need to get two a month to be known as a podcast, otherwise you're kind of in trouble. And I tend to advertise that I've done my YouTube videos more than I've done my podcast episodes. So I need to kind of work on that. But as well as that, I gotta work on the Patreon and get that running up and you know back up and running properly, because you know it's it was down in funds, and obviously I need the funds to run the channel. But lately I have put a new thing, uh, implemented a new thing, which is that uh, if you're on the Patreon, you will automatically get early access screenings to new videos. Whether it's a day, two days, maybe even three days, depending on how how soon I get the video done, but you will get early screenings. So I've already done that with the Tainted Grail review. That went up live today publicly, but the Patreons got access to it three days ago. So it was, a you know, that seemed pretty good, and if I can maintain that, that should go down pretty well, I, sh I should hope, anyway. But how else am I going to get this podcast to work? Well, that's because I'm going to do Q&A sessions. So I'm going to do question and answers where people can submit me questions and I'll answer them on the show. You know, and, and I'll take any questions, I'll take anything gaming related, uh, not too personal, but I'll take stuff about, you know, my lifestyle. I'll take stuff about board games, you know, what I like and don't like, uh, things about the industry, things about, you know, stuff like that. You know, I'll, I'll take most questions, to be honest. And I've got a selection to do today because that's what this podcast episode is. It's essentially my first Q&A thing. The idea is, is that anybody can submit me questions, but if you are a $2 a month subscriber on my Patreon, you not only get to submit me questions, but you also get priority in answering them. So, you know, they will be the first ones that I always answer. Now, I've only had so many questions handed in by a few people so far, so, uh, you know, we've got to start off on the slow foot, but hopefully more questions will start coming in. If you want to submit them to me, then you can either tweet me on The Broken Meeple, that'd be good, or message me on Facebook on The Broken Meeple, or easier, just send me an email at brokenmeeple at gmail.com and put in the subject heading Q&A. And that way I'll be able to recognize it and make certain it doesn't go to spam and sort of keep it to the side so I can hang on to it for a podcast episode. So what games have I been playing lately? Well, I've been mainly trying to get the ones that I just mentioned for review played so I could get them out, but uh, I don't want to spoil anything on those. But what I have played, and that isn't... Well, I do need to do a review of this as one as well. But here's first impressions. Crystal Palace. This is done by Furorland, I think that's the pronunciation, and sidestep side by uh, Capstone Games. This is a relatively unheard of Euro game. It came out at Essen, and you could only get it from one stand. And I literally bought it purely on a, you know, a Facebook friend's uh, rep recommendation. That was it. I didn't even know about the game, really. I didn't even know the mechanisms. I didn't even bother to find out. I just literally went, okay, fine, you've recommended me a game, I'll play it. And just went for it. And I got it to the table last night and played it with some friends of mine who were into heavy games. This is, I think, certainly what I would call probably a heavy game. It's midway or a heavy. It's hard to tell. I mean, it takes as long as a heavy game. I'll put it that way. And 
What you're doing in Crystal Palace is that you are preparing for a world exhibition, you know, the one from history in the 1850s. And as a result, you are essentially trying to build prototypes, uh, get the enlist the help of, you know, celebrity inventors, you know, ones from the time and even some fictional ones. And you're trying to maintain your money and your funds, get some research done, and essentially just get victory points by various means in order to prepare the best for said show. You're not necessarily doing the show itself. It's not like Preda Porter where you build up for the fashion show and then actually do the fashion show. This one's just you're spending a couple of years preparing for its eventual opening. But the core mechanic in this is that you have a selection of dice, and these dice are put onto spaces on the board, you know, like eight different locations you can go to with different effects. And the idea is, is that you choose which value the dice are before the round begins, which sounds like, well, what's the point then? But when you do that, A, you do it in secret, and B, you have to spend money equal to the value of all the dice. So the more, the higher the dice, the more you're gonna spend, and money is quite tight. But then when you put the dice out on the placement spots, First person there might be able to get better choice and there are minimum requirements for a lot of the spaces, but not necessarily go first. Because when they resolve in location order, you end up with people with the highest dice going first. Doesn't matter if he was there third or second or first, it's the highest die value. So you can get sniped quite a lot in this game if you're gonna be a cheapskate with the dice. So that certainly is quite tight in itself. But the rest of the game, you know, get collecting cards with prototypes and building them and hiring characters, paying their salaries and going to various locations to get buzz, which is basically level up on the track, get income, which is level up on the track, uh, to, wait a minute, track, track, yeah, you're starting to notice a theme here. This is, for one that tries to meet the theme of this game, and I'm going to apologize right now, if you hear any rumblings in the background, it's because there's a storm outside and it's pretty insane, but with the, the, the theme in this. It's there, but A, it's not a particularly interesting theme, and B, it doesn't really come out in the game mechanics. I mean, yes, you've got to get buzz to spread the word about your show, but all it pretty much is, is leveling up on this very dull track that takes up half the, like a third of the table space, and all that happens is that eventually you'll get to a tiny little bonus, which isn't even that great a bonus, or you'll pass by these posters with VPs that you can get every round if you're willing to put one of two discs on there. So that's about it, really. And then you've got the black market that you can go to, which is another track. Yes, uh, more tracks. Black market just allows you to get some better stuff as income, but you know you run the risk of the police coming in and raiding the market. Aside from that, it's mostly about the action location spaces where you're getting the prototypes, the characters, and doing some other shenanigans with uh, shares and research tiles. And it sounds more thematic than it actually is, because a lot of it is just simply taking a tile and getting a bonus. There's not really much else in the way of theme here, and obviously the dice aren't a thematic element. Really, this game doesn't actually have much of a unique bone to stand on. First of all, it looks generic as old get out. I mean, the, the components are not particularly great quality, and the artwork for the most part is pretty bland or uninspiring. The only thing that even looks remotely nice are the prototypes and character cards. That's about it. The locations are pretty bland, the track boards are pretty bland, the, the dice that you have are the basic sort of dice you get from 1970s roll and move games, you know, they're that sort of dice, Blech. and it's just not really got a unique bone to stand on, aside from choosing your dice at the beginning of the round, which I don't recall having seen in any other game lately. But there's a problem with that mechanic too. 
because you're basically telling multiple people to choose the value of all your four dice, possibly five or six, at the start of a round. And this will have ramifications for where you can go, how easy you can be blocked, how much money you have now, and how much money you need for the round. You cannot believe the amount of analysis paralysis that phase has the potential of generating. It is mind-blowingly bad. It, it depends on the players, obviously, but yeah, you even the best of us can AP on, the, on that particular phase, and it certainly does drag a bit. But this isn't a short game. This is about a 30-minute per player game, so you are talking with four players easily two hours, if not more, because of your first game or just because the AP drags out. This can go up to five. I have no intention of playing this with five. It, it scales a bit like Ticket to Ride, where like two and three player is its own separate game from four and five, two and four player being the nice versions and three and five being the like the tense, horrible versions. So why would you play this at four players or more? All you're doing is adding time, and at four players you reduce the tension, at five players you have insane tension and stupidly long game. So you really only want to play this with three players, so that you have the right amount of tension, but not take forever, like 90 minutes or so, or maybe two hours max. But it's just, it just felt very average. I didn't hate it, but it's very punishing. I mean, you can get hosed by yourself or by other people's like regularly in this game. It's pretty easy just to get screwed over. You don't get to recover very easily. There's a kind of rich get richer thing in it where like, you know, if somebody gets a good start, you know they're likely going to win. It's just, it's just got a lot of cons against what pros it does have. It's very strategic. It has some tactical elements. It certainly does make you think it's gonna. It's super tight for resource management. There and the cards are okay. You know they've got some interesting links between them. So I don't mind it, but it's just really not winning me over. But sadly, this is just after first impressions. I got to get more games of it played and then do a proper review. But yeah. So far, Crystal Palace, at the moment, for me, after one game, it's hovering at a 5 out of 10. But we'll see if more games can make me appreciate it more. Maybe it'll just get worse and worse. Who knows? Another game I have played is Papillon, Papillon by Colossal Games. This arrived on Kickstarter and it is the sort of big butterfly game that you've heard of. You're essentially in Carcassonne tile style building a garden full of flower beds and uh, little fountains and that. And while doing this, you are basically trying to build complete colors of flower beds, like red, yellow, and blue and that, in order to put these butterflies on these gigantic wooden, you know, wooden, no, sorry, cardboard structures of flowers. You put these tiny little butterflies on, on little, like, clothes pegs, in a sense, and you're trying to get points from those flowers by area control. There are some other points you can get for collecting little gnomes and how you build your garden, but for the most part, it's about area majority on those flowers. This is about as overproduced as you can get for a game that is decidedly simple. In fact, it's kind of weird how half the game is overproduced and the other half isn't. The tiles are relatively standard. I mean, they're nothing insane. It's kind of like uh, what you get from lanterns. It looks pretty, but it's nothing to write home about. The bit that's overproduced is the fact you've got these little butterflies on clothes pegs and these ridiculously big flowers that you construct out of multiple pieces in advance and, you know, they stand in the board, you know, stand in the table and just look imposing, like they're, they're right there. Anything else you're doing with the tiles is insignificant compared to these things. 
but it's a pleasant light game. You are drafting tiles from this board and you can draft a certain number of tiles depending on which row or column you pick, but there's good size and bad size to taking them. You've got to bid for turn order with these little uh, worms and worms are kind of like a virtual currency in this game, so you can't keep going first all the time, but then you might really want that tile in that column and you hope someone doesn't take it. It's got that cool sort of tile-less drafting element of uh, you know Carcassonne and various other tile-laying games. And the area majority is quite in your face, you know, it's like, I am on this flower. Wait, get off my flower. You know, there's a lot of you know, banter talk between it. If anything, the game doesn't suffer from anything like, you know, duration or gameplay and that. That's all well and good. It's just the fact that it's quite a high price point to ask for this game because you're paying for the overproduced components. And the flowers are far from easy to use. You know, trying to get the butterflies on the flowers can be quite fiddly. And obviously, if you're looking at the flower from one particular direction, you might miss that there's a butterfly of someone else's colour on the other petal just because it's blocked out of your line of sight. On top of that, you know, you get a relatively big box. You have to spend ages, to, you know, punching the cardboard out and assembling these flowers. And some of the flowers, one or two of them, don't even fit together very well. It's, it was quite frustrating putting these together. And then you have to fit them in a box which doesn't adequately fit all the assembled flowers in as well as everything else, particularly if you've got the stretch goals with it. So it, it, it will fit. But you've got to do some mad Tetris skills to get it in there, otherwise you've got to ditch the insert. And it's just, I feel like this game got the gameplay right, but then the publisher just kind of took a break on trying to be efficient with its inside design, and maybe they just got too hung up on those giant flowers that they didn't think about the logistics of actually transporting and using the things. It's a nice game though, and the stretch goals add some variety and different rules, but... You know, all in all, the game is fun. It's nothing groundbreaking, though. It's nothing terribly unique, even. It's just pleasant and looks great on the board if you're willing to put up with the logistical nightmare of assembling it and getting it to the table. But it's a decent little game. I'd give it about a 7 out of 10. Uh, maybe wait for it to come down in price, just because you are paying a lot for it, I think, for a game that's this light. But yeah, it's a decent one that you should at least give it a try. Okay, and now for the Q&A. Now, I've had two or three people send me questions, and they've sent me a fair few each. Um, I'm basically going to sort of cherry-pick one and go through a bunch of questions that they've asked, and I'll see how I get on time-wise, because I don't want this uh, episode to take forever, and obviously I want people to send me questions on a relatively... I want to have questions available for the next podcast episode. So, if I don't get to your question, then apologies, I will get to it on the next one. But it depends on these questions. So Maybe I'll be able to quick-fire through these and just go through the entire lot. We shall see. So, I'm going to kick-start with... How much time does it take to make a top 10 video? Way too long. Record, obviously I've got to plan the thing first, so I have to come up with a list of games. Usually what happens is that when I'm at work on my lunch break, I will go on Board Game Geek and with the assistance of the ranking engine or and my little black notebook that you see me use in every video, I will think of a list and I will jot down, brainstorm as many games as I can think of using the board game database as a crutch, but for the most part thinking of my collection and just my personal experience. That gets me the short list. That takes probably a good 10 to 15 minutes. And you know, if I was to do it in one go, I sort of I sort of spread it out over multiple times, you know, multiple days even depending on what I'm doing. 
but then I have to rank the thing. So I have to cut out some of the shortlist and get to about, say, 13 games, and then I have to rank those 13 games so that I have 10 for the list and three honorable mentions. And as soon as I have that done, well, that takes another, you know, it can take me a good half an hour to do that because, you know, it takes a lot to think, oh, what do I think of that game? Do I think that's better? Oh, I don't know. Is that fit the criteria of the list? And with the ranking engine, it helps, but, you know, you're probably talking about an hour to come up with a top 10 list in terms of planning and writing and ranking. That's the sort of thing. And But that's generally spread out over multiple days. It's not like I just sit down and say, right, I'm going to do a top 10 list. Now, it's like, oh, I've got five minutes spare. I'm going to add to this list. Ten minutes spare. I'm going to have a look at this list. So that bit kind of doesn't factor in as much. But in terms of making the actual video, well, the videos themselves are about 45 minutes by the time I get them done, maybe between 30 and 45 minutes. If you assume that I have to obviously set the cameras up and get the lighting done, as well as make allowances for, you know, bloopers or you know, messing up or things not going right, you're talking about an hour to record the video. And that's to get the entire footage done with lighting ready for editing. Editing is quite a lengthy process with the top 10 one though. It usually takes a good, I would say, hour and a half to edit a top 10 video. It has only gone longer if I've put in loads of different graphics, video clips and the like. It really just depends on how much I'm doing. And it takes longer if I'm experimenting with a new format. I've kind of got the top 10 format down to a T now, so I'm able to do it relatively quickly, but still, typically you're looking at between 60 to 90 minutes to record, a, uh, sorry, to edit a top 10 video, and likely to be more in line with 90 minutes, because usually it's about an hour to do a review video edit. Maybe a bit less, again, it depends on how much graphics and stuff are put in there, but yeah, you can imagine that a top 10 video is probably a good, three hour job in terms of the total time it would take me to come up with a list, rank the games, get the cameras done, record the actual video and then edit the thing. You imagine that that's just for a top 10 video and imagine how I find the time to do the other review ones. Yeah, there's a good thing about being single and a bachelor. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of like, well, I've got all the time in the world, it seems, you know, it would be nice to have someone to help, but uh, that's unlikely. So yeah, it does take a while to do a top 10 video, but I do love doing them. So I have no problems with that. Can you walk us through the decision-making process that led to your first video? Well, I can't remember exactly when I did my first video, but 2013 August was when I did my first review, and that was Flashpoint Fire Rescue on my blogger page, and that was my written one. But the video one, I think that came about a year later, a few months later. And in terms of why I felt like doing it, well, I got into the Dice Tower at that time and I was watching their videos and I was enjoying the content. I saw other people's videos and I thought, I'm quite an opinionated person. I do like to, you know, give my opinion on films and music and stuff like that. So I thought, you know, I could talk about a game. I enjoy the game. I enjoy what games I'm doing and it'd be just cool to just give my opinion just as a random bloke on the internet. So in terms of actually doing a video, well, I saved up for a little bit. I grabbed the very basics of camera equipment, and this was before I even knew about lighting. So I was pretty much just using, a, I think, a microphone on the camera and the camera itself. And I don't even know if I had lighting. I might have had one or two things of lighting, but mainly I might have just literally used what my flat was. Because I was staying in a flat in Portsmouth at the time, and... Lighting was kind of hit and miss, acoustics were bad because I think I was trying to use a blue Yeti mic and it just picked up everything. I mean, God, 
outside, inside, internal appliances, you know, internal piping. It picked up every bit of noise you could find no matter how much I fiddled with the settings. It was kind of ridiculous. So if you were to actually go back and look at my season one uh, night videos, Oh yeah, you can see they were bad times, and I hope that I'm not losing subscribers purely because people see that rather than my current videos, but I don't want to delete them all. So season two, it got a little better, and then as season three, and now season four, you can see that the quality has improved dramatically as I moved house to a house, which is still not as big as I would like, but I live in Britain, we don't live in giant mansions like the U lot in the US, so we have to deal with small rooms, sardine tins, and what space we have, but the house allowed me to get some better equipment, better acoustics, actual lighting. I took some Udemy courses on the like Premiere Pro and uh, Adobe software, and I just basically went from there and tried to make it as uh, good as possible. But yeah, the first video was just basically a spur of the moment thing. I just felt like doing it. I thought, let's just get a basic camera, basic mic, and just try it and see what happens. There was never any intention of being famous, and there still isn't any intention of that now. I would just like to be known, you know, just a little bit of respect, but um, it, it was just a case of, look, I'm just going to talk about games, there you go, see what happens, no money, no fame, just do it, and it just got enjoyable, and I thought, you know what, I want to keep doing this, even though it was costing me money to obviously buy the games, but then I was stocking up on a Calyx at the time, a 5x5 Calyx, and well, meant I had a lot of games to talk about. What do you sacrifice in order to make your channel work? Well, apart from sanity and time, <laughs> that's about the main things. Sanity, I have had the occasional moments where I felt like it was burnout, you know, where I've sort of gone, okay, seriously, I'm not getting any respect for this, or at least not enough. This is a lot of work. You know, it feels more like work than it does the hobby. You know, why am I still doing this? And then I kind of, you know, take a break and, you know, listen to people's feedback and just get back on two feet and just go, you know what, go with it. You know, you're going to do it. It's just going to take time. You know, these, you cannot be known on YouTube in five minutes. You have got to spend years building up your name. Some people get lucky and believe me, I know a few of those at the moment where they like, we've started a podcast and instantly a million subscribers. It's like, hmm, lucky you. But uh, sometimes it just helps if you're a celebrity or you're known in the industry because then you get instant you know, appreciation for that. But in terms of sacrifice, well, spare time. You know, I obviously take time out of my, uh, my life to do this and it's not my job. I have a full-time job as a chartered tax advisor. So yeah, I already have a full 37 and a half hour working week, you know, possibly more. And then I'm doing this. So I'm taking time out of my spare time to do this. But I do make time to actually have fun, actually, A, play games, because I do play a lot of games, but do see mates, you know, now and again, just go out for meals, go out on hikes around the hills and that. Uh, I haven't really been on many holidays, but then traveling solo is expensive because of solo supplement, grr. But, you know, I do, it does take a bit of time. I try to spread it throughout the week, you know, do a video here and edit there. Sometimes I binge it on a Saturday where I'll do like a ton of them in one go so that I've got them done. And then... I suppose sleep is something I sacrifice because I don't go to bed early enough and I must admit I need to try and work on that. But yeah, I mean, it's just a case that I do take spare time to do this and it would be nice to you know, be able to somehow spread the load, but it's just not something I'm in a position to do. And when you want to stay on top of games, you kind of do have to you know, keep putting the content out, putting stuff out. And I am trying to slow myself down a little bit so that I don't have to put out videos constantly. 
But the problem is if I don't, I just don't feel that I'm getting enough ad revenue for funding the channel, nor am I keeping up with people who are already famous in industry. So it's it's a weird balance to, to achieve. But, you know, as we go into January, February, March, you know, game releases are usually quite dead. So I should be able to, once I catch up with this backlog, and now that I'm doing written reviews, which don't take me as long, I mean, I can do a written review. If, if, if I was to literally start typing and not stop like... Uh, um, Wesley Snipes at a demolition man he's like I am I'm possessed <laughs> wonder if I can play the accordion too then I will pretty much get a written review done in about half an hour 45 minutes tops and you know that's including sticking it on blogger and putting some pictures up so it, if I'm doing that usually I end up sort of going at it for five minutes and then 10 minutes you know just write a bit here write a bit there but the written reviews are quicker they just don't get a lot of views and therefore don't get me a lot of ad revenue either so there is a downside to doing them but it means that I can spend the time doing videos on the ones that I really want to do a video on and written reviews can be like the other stuff that I can't get done but yeah time sanity and money because I get some review copies, but I don't get a, all of them as review copies. Some of these I just buy. I want to try the game, I buy it, and then if I like it, I'll keep it in my collection. If I don't, I'll see if somebody in my game club usually wants to buy it off me on a cheap rate. Um, occasionally I'll put some in a bring and buy sale just to put towards the channel. So it's basically sell it cheap and put it into channel funds. But if I don't think people necessarily want it, or if I feel that uh, local libraries will benefit, I'll donate it to the Dice Cafe or the, you know, board in the city. And that I will literally just say, you know what, it's not worth selling. I would like to play this game again. I just can't keep it. Uh, I notice you have space for it in your library. I think it will be a good game cafe game. You know, a gateway game. How about you guys have it? Would you consider moving to the U.S. if it meant being able to be a gamer full time? Oh, that's a tough one. I've got a life here. I have a career. I have friends and family. But I must admit, you guys live in big houses. You do have a lot of food. <laughs> so I'm a bit of a foodie, although I would have to find a gym because I will not want to get... Well, I'm already fat as it is. I don't want to get any more fat. But uh, it's tempting. I mean, it, I've always sometimes thought about it, but... I just think it would be too much of a gear change. I mean, at the moment, I've got a successful career as a chartered tax advisor. It pays the bills and then some. And because I don't have kids, I don't have a girlfriend, I don't even have a pet because of my lifestyle, you know, I mean, I'd love to have a cat. I love cats and I like dogs too, but I'd love to have a pet someday. And to be fair, I don't want kids. So that's kind of my uh, bargaining chip with any girl I meet in the future, if, if only. Um, it would be a case of, look, we can't have kids. But you want three cats? We'll have three cats. And we'll have two dogs and a fish and a tortoise. You know, we'll have, we'll have a shark even in a tank. We'll, we'll have a llama at the back. It's, it will do all sorts if it means I don't have to have kids. It's just not my thing. But to shift away from that, I don't think... I know this sounds a bit pretentious or I don't mean it to be. But I don't think the gaming industry could afford me. Because... At the moment, I get a pretty good salary. I'm not going to say numbers, but I get a pretty good salary as a chartered tax advisor. It supports me as I live alone. I don't have dual income. and I don't get tons of support from the parents and that because I don't ask for it. But if I was to move to be a full-time gamer, the channel would not make enough money at all. I mean, I'm not famous enough to make money from a channel and even the most famous people have to do Kickstarters. I mean, you know, Dice Tower is an exception to the rule. It is not how game, successful gaming channels normally fund themselves. Paul Grogan, he makes a reasonable amount on his Patreon and people know him and he's a decent good bloke. But, you know, it's, he's pretty famous and even then he has to be a bit careful with his money income. So what chance have I got? 
But let's say like a publisher wanted to hire me as, um, you know, like you can be in a, you can be an accountant in Fantasy Flight or you can be a demoer in Fantasy Flight and that. I still think it would mean cutting my salary practically in half or possibly, you know, just about half to do it. I don't think I can afford that drop in salary. It just wouldn't, I don't think I'd be able to support myself. But like I say, being able to be a gamer full time or work in the industry full time, believe me, It'd be pretty sweet. I mean, we've got Asmodee uh, UK up the road from me. They're about 30, 40 minutes away. It'd be a bit of a commute, but, you know, to work in Asmodee and do lots of games and stuff like that, maybe help out with a Twitch stream and that, I mean, that'd be pretty fun. I'd be uh, kind of up for it. Although, to be like that, it means I'd have to give up the channel because you can't really work for a gaming industry and also do a separate channel. You kind of have to put all your heart and devotion into whatever place you're working for. So... It's crossed my mind. Believe me, it's crossed my mind, particularly as Britain is starting to self-destruct from the inside politically. But yeah, it's it's just, it would be a huge shift. I think baby steps first. Try and find some way that I can get to a US gaming convention. Although, considering how much it costs to fly over and how much it costs to stay in your hotels, I mean, I did look at trying to get into Dice Tower East. Yeah, the cost was a little bit prohibitive. Something like 700, 600, 700 pounds just to fly over. And then something like about $150 a night to stay in the hotel of Dice Darius. It's like, I can't afford that. <laughs> just can't. But baby steps. I, I'm certainly not opposed to the idea, but I just think it would be a bit of a gear shift and I'm not certain it would be practical. Would you consider doing a series of podcasts that focus on the big questions or themes of gaming? What is the history of gaming? What is the politics of gaming? What is the psychology of gaming? What is the sociology of gaming? If I were a podcaster reviewer, this might take the form of having a podcast that argues the following. I see a gaming trend that is moving the industry toward producing the majority of games which are shorter card games, etc. The reasons being that as more games are produced, time to play games becomes more important, which leads to people wanting shorter games that allows them... Oh, right, this is like a huge example. My thoughts. Uh... Possibly, but I just don't know if I'm the sort of person that qualifies for that. There's one or two people out there that do it. I think uh, I think Jeff Engelstein or whatever his name is, um, or is it somebody else? There's somebody on the Dice Tower podcast that occasionally comes in. I think Ludology. Yeah, I think it's Jeff Engelstein who does Ludology. And he talks about various things like that, like sort of sociology and psychology of gaming. But I think he actually has experience in that field. I just don't know what... I would be able to bring to the table on that one, apart from just an opinion. I mean, certainly, I don't know what the politics of gaming is. I mean, how exactly does that work? Uh, the sociology? I mean, I could certainly say my opinion on, you know, how people are kind of reacting to games at the moment. Uh, I don't think I have the time to learn the history of a lot of gaming. Um, psychology of it? I, I don't know. Uh, big questions or themes of gaming? I mean, I do occasionally do discussion topics on my podcast, so I do like to think of like <clears throat> usually something like on Facebook where somebody is put in a thread and it's been a viral discussion and I might take that topic and go all oh, right well that looks pretty interesting to talk about I'll do it as a discussion topic but it kind of just stems from that really hard to say if people would be up for that I mean let me know in the comments let me know on YouTube on emails and that if that's something you would like to see but or something like you like to hear I just don't necessarily know what I would bring to the table that someone else couldn't and also what sort of topic would actually be relevant. I mean, I, I know about games, but whether I would notice things like trends and that, yeah, there are some people that can do it a lot better than I can, but 
I don't know, I mean, it could work, maybe. Uh, I can certainly give my opinions on definitions, you know, like what counts as a lightweight, heavyweight, what's a gateway game, you know, sh what's short, medium and long, that kind of thing. I mean, maybe, it's hard to say on that one. How about thinking through the tension between work and games? Will there be a push to create more solitaire games in the future to allow people to come home from work and play alone in order to fulfill the gaming need? Or will social games dominate due to the need to relieve stress with others? What I mean is, are game genres starting to be produced that more easily fit into the schedules of the middle working classes who play them? Okay, that's blimey. Let's <laughs> get like, deep on that one. Well, I suppose that could work. I mean, certainly I would agree there's a push to do more solo modes. I mean, that is an easy trend to spot. In the past, solo gaming was probably seen as a bit of a stigma because obviously the main reason to play games is to socialize with other people. But, you know, there is certainly a push for it. Loads of games are coming out with solo modes. I mean, David Turksey makes a living habit <laughs> coming up with these solo modes and uh, David Digby creates a few as well. But... There's, there's certainly a push to get a solo mode in the game, and I'm all up for a solo mode in the game. You know, I live alone, I sometimes want to play games, I want to learn the rules to something, or I just want to play a game that I enjoy. The fact that I can play it solo, sometimes it only plays solo, but sometimes like I want to, you know, I could play three of my LCGs I've got. Lord of the Rings, Arkham Horror, and Marvel Champions. All of them can be played up to four players. I typically like playing it at one, you know, occasionally I play it at four when I go to a gaming convention and there's a big event on, but otherwise I can't remember the last time I even played any of those games two-player, and I usually just play it solo. I might even play it two-handed, but I'll still do it solo. It's It works into my kind of lifestyle, I mean, like you say, uh, allow people to come home from work and play alone in order to fulfill the need. Well, that's kind of my thing, because I go to various gaming clubs and I invite friends round, I go around their house in order to play games as groups, and I do prefer to do it in groups. You know, I run a board game club on a Wednesday night, you know, at uh, Dice Portsmouth, and th that one allows me to play games in a group. I go to a club on Monday nights that allows me to play games with a group, usually heavier stuff, but sometimes I just need to get the game played, and if it's got a solo mode, then great, I want to play it. You know, it certainly makes life a lot easier. And I'm certainly not short of games that I can play solo, put it that way. But will social games dominate due to the need to release stress with others? I can't see that happening because, I mean, at the end of the day, games relieve stress usually by nature of board games. It's a case of that you play it, you enjoy it, you unwind with people that you know, and you have a good time. Social games where it's like party games or social deduction games certainly allow more interaction and maybe a lot of laughter, and that does help. But I think we're getting a bit saturated with those at the moment. I mean, we get so many that are just rehashes of what we've already seen before, and yet everybody goes ape over them. What's the newest craze? Uh, Blood on the Clock Tower, I think it is, or something? Which is fine, it's okay, but it's basically just the resistant... No, it's, it's basically just one night werewolf with some extra bits and a giant book on top and a huge price tag. It is nothing overly new, it's just another social deduction game, and we're getting a little bit saturated with them alongside roll and rights. But they do make for good social times, and the fact that you can play them with a ton of players is obviously a good thing, but I have a feeling we're going to start seeing a downward trend in social deduction games, because I think they've just kind of been done to death, people have run out of ideas on what to do with them, you'll get the occasional one every now and again, but for the most part, I think we're kind of good with what we've got. We've already got some belters in that genre, and a lot of duds. 
I just don't see how people are going to come up with anything new that isn't just simply, I've copied this game and maybe added one tweak. But uh, certainly when it comes to like game genres being produced that more f easily fit into the schedules, well, I actually don't think the publishers are taking note of that at the moment. Because the way I'm seeing it is that occasionally you are getting the gateway level family game. And I'm more interested in seeing games like be accessible to new players. I want to see new people get into the hobby because we are growing fast, but we are still seen as a bit of an oddball hobby. But if the idea is to produce games that fit easily into our schedule, then publishers didn't get the memo. <laughs> because all I am seeing these days, particularly when it comes to buzzed games, hyped games, and ones that tend to do well in the top 10 of Board Game Geek, is everybody just seems to want the longest, most complex and like ridiculously overproduced game possible to be the game that they want. They want three to four hour monstrosities, they want huge rule books, big setup, insane levels of mechanics, mechanics that shouldn't even be in there, they're just thrown in there like deck building in Great Western Trail or something. And every all the ones that get talked about, have you noticed, are generally the big heavy two to three hour plus games, usually three hours plus. If this is supposed to be the trend to get people the more accessible into games based on their schedule, it ain't happening. Because anybody with kids ain't going to be able to find a good time to get three to four hour games played, particularly at home. They're going to need stuff to play with the family. And even me, for example, I've got videos to do. I've got my life to live. I've got work to do. I can't always like go to a game night and expect to just play this one game for the whole night. I might want to play a selection of games. I like variety. My favourite foods are all the ones that allow me to have a variety of meals like curries and sushi and tapas and uh, I think that's all I can think of but, but uh, you get the point. You know stuff that I can have lots of little meals I love but I, yeah certainly games that are talked about and releasing they just seem to be the long, crazy ones, that's what I'm noticing. Uh, I'm certainly not seeing anything to the contrary. I don't see a lot of particularly good family weight games come out these days. There's usually too much in the game to make it gateway level. And I feel that we need more accessible family weight games. And when they do come out, I'm like, ooh, I've got to at least try it and see if it's suitable, like for a game cafe, that kind of thing. That's why I keep talking about whether it is suitable for that kind of thing. But, I mean, I look at my... Wall, for example, as I was saying, those games that I've got to review and do stuff. Sierra West, mid-weight game. Azul Free, that's more of a family weight game, but you already had the original Azul. You're just rehashing the same idea. Chocolate Factory works, sort of, but I feel there's a bit too much in it to make it easier for children. Uh, Mississippi Queen, that's family weight, that can work, but that was released like decades ago or something, and it's a bit dated now. Warpgate, no, that ain't a family game. Dust in the Wings is actually a pretty good contender for a family game at the moment. It's basically a light version of Mancala. And, you know, they'll be doing a written review on that very soon, actually, so you'll be able to get my thoughts, although it's not without its problems. And Atlantid Rising, yeah, that ain't a family weight game. <laughs> That's not going to happen. I mean, it's not the heaviest uh, co-op game in the world, but I can think of easier. And I'm just going to look at my shelf to my left, and what do I see? I mean, Hanami Koji... Would a kid be able to understand that? Uh, patchwork, they could. I mean, that'd be fine. Kahuna, they could. Pandemic, yeah, Pandemic Iberia. I mean, you could get a family to play Pandemic. Flam Rouge, yes. Wingspan, uh, there's a bit going on in it, but maybe. I certainly can't teach it to my parents. 
Uh, nothing else there. I mean, Francis Drake, Vindication, Tale to Huacan, nope. <laughs> Suburbia, Rising Sun, Carson City, that ain't happening. Scythe, Suburbia, ha 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 ha. That's not going to go there. Um, Roll them right, Imperial Settlers, and Harvest Dice. Uh, that could work. Canagua, uh, Baron Park. Okay, Baron Park's really good, and so is Forbidden Desert. That could work. But then these are games that have been out for a little while for the most part. You know, they're, they're several years old. When I think to 2019, can't think of that many family-like games that go down well. Apart from Point Salad, that worked quite well. But yeah, they just I, I feel that it's just getting to the point where there's... If they're trying to make it for busy working class, then they're not doing a very good job. I think that's kind of like not even part of what they're thinking. But certainly, I do believe that there is a huge push towards solitaire games. And probably people are shying away from social deduction games. But yeah, solo gaming is here and it's going to stay because I think people have just realized that sometimes people can't get players together and therefore need a way to play games that doesn't force them to find random people or get to a club. I like the fact that I can just pull out a game and try it solo mode or I like the fact that if I can't get my friends around to play a four player game of, uh, you know, Mara Kaibo and the War of the Cities, Terra Mara or even Camel Up or something, you know, then at least I can say, well, you know what? i got a new, in fact, I've got a new pack on my shelf here. I just picked it up, uh, Arkham Horror, the card game, Murder at the Excelsior Hotel. I haven't got around to playing that yet. I could just whip that out, maybe. Although tonight, I need to get this edited, and I need to watch Doctor Who. So probably not tonight, but uh, certainly soon I want to. But that's the thing. I have that choice. And I think I'm going to leave it there, actually, because uh, that was seven questions. No, that was six questions. Uh, one of them I couldn't quite understand, so I had to leave it out. But that took me a while to get through those questions, I think. And I don't want to use them all up. So if I didn't get to the question that you have sent me, then apologies. I will get to it soon. You know, Patreons get uh, you know priority. And thank you, uh, Craig Vivian, for those uh, questions. They, they all came from him. I, I wasn't going to say names originally because I thought I was going to do multiple people. And maybe in the future I will, rather than just read one person's. But, uh, you know, thank you for those questions. They were interesting to answer. I have some more, though, from other people that I will get to in other videos. So this will give me an incentive to get these podcasts out more often. Because then it means I can add extra episodes as these Q&As. And if you like what you hear, let me know in the comments. Give me some feedback on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, email, whatever. Just find a way to talk to me, even at a convention, and just say, what do you think of the Q&A segments? Do you think it's a good thing? Do you think it's something you want to hear more often? Or is it a tired, tired, interested thing? Who knows? But I want to give some incentive to Patreons, obviously, to sign up for it. So, you know, the idea that they can submit priority questions is, a, you know, hopefully a good thing for them. And hopefully it's something good for you to listen to as well. Anyway, I fear I'm rambling on. I better get on with editing this podcast and getting it out, and then I want to watch Doctor Who. So that's it for me. I'll see you. No, not see you. I will talk to you on the next Broken Meeple podcast, season four, episode two, where I will probably, maybe I'll do, whether I'll do Q&As as a separate podcast episode, or maybe do a couple of questions every podcast episode, remains to be seen. I'm, you know, I'm going to be like experimenting a bit with this format, but it kind of depends on how many questions I get. Like uh, if I end up with a flood of questions, and I might have to do entire episodes devoted to them. But if I'm struggling to get questions in, then maybe I'll spread them out a bit more and do more episodes. We shall see. So I'm going to leave you guys now to get on with your daily lives. Hopefully you're not sacrificing too much to enjoy those at the moment. 
and I better get on with editing this podcast. So take care, enjoy, and remember as always, it's only a game. See you next time. Thank you all for listening to my content and I hope it was enjoyable for you. If you want to catch me at other sources, then there's plenty to choose from. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. You can find me at all of these places. Just search for The Broken Meeple on Facebook and you will find me. Same for Instagram. On Twitter, you can catch me at The Broken Meeple. On YouTube, just search for The Broken Meeple and you will find my channel full of videos about top 10s, reviews, solo walkthroughs, and all sorts of other things besides. Of course, you can subscribe to this podcast via the RSS feed on soundcloud.com. This is where episodes will be posted in the future as well as audio-only feeds on YouTube. The Broken Meeple is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. As always, remember my motto, it's only a game.